Good morning. It's a bit breezy today, but sunny. It's going to be really nice. Um, there's a state trooper that followed me up to where I usually park to walk the dogs, although I left him behind a little bit. So I keep wondering if he's going to pass me, even though this is this road technically doesn't go through. At any rate, <clears throat> so here we are at the part of the process where um, you've got the spoon blank to the right width to start removing material from the sides of the handles. And this is where the stop cuts really come into their own because if you've lined up the handle with the grain well enough, and if you've gotten the thickness reduced thin enough, and if you are careful and keep in mind a couple things, you are often able to remove much of the material on either side of the handle simply by splitting it off. So, first let's talk about how wood splits, how it wants to split. If you are splitting a piece of wood where one side, the one side of the split is more mass and to the other side of the split is less mass, the split will always run to the side with less mass. Now keep in mass, keep in mind the mass might be uh, its total mass, not total width. So, um, for instance, when you, if you have like a firewood shaped sort of uh, pizza wedge shaped piece of firewood and you go to split off a rectangular billet from it, even though one side might have more material because it still has uh, a bunch of the triangle in it, the side with the rectangle has more depth. So it's it, they're about equal in mass, so you end up with a straight split, if that makes sense. So you have to think about it in, total, in terms of total mass, not just width from one side to the other. Now the ramifications of this are, depending on how wide your billet is, that your spoon blank is drawn on, you might need to split off the waste material on either side of the handle in two goes, splitting the material first, removing, say, half of it, and then the other half, depending on whether, uh, depending on which side has more mass. So look at it this way. When you're looking at your spoon blank and there's a spoon drawn on it, and you want to remove one side, of the handle waste. Probably the other side is probably fatter, right? Because it has both the side on the other side of the handle and the handle width. So when you split that off, the split is gonna run out to the edge of the blank and not in toward the handle. But when you now go to split the other side of the handle, depending on how wide your spoon bill it is, it might be that the handle side has less material than the waste side because your your billet was quite wide. In which case, if you go to split that, even if the grain tells you that it's going gonna, it's gonna to run straight, it probably won't. It'll probably run straight into the handle because it will want to tear out. Essentially, the split will run towards the narrow side, which in this case now, because you've removed the mass from the side that you've already removed, the narrow side is now the handle side. You got it? And so... If you go to just split both sides, 
depending on how narrow your handle is, depending on how wide your billet is, all these factors change. You can end up thinking that it's going to run straight and it won't. It will run right into your handle. So what I usually, probably the most common situation is I usually find myself splitting off one side, the first side first is just fine. And then the second side of the handle, I usually divide the, the, the distance in half and split it off in two chunks. And that way, both of those chunks will run out to the edge. Now, obviously, this you still have to look at the grain. And when your spoon, wow, it's really windy. I hope you guys can hear this. When your spoon is tangentially oriented, come on, Maisie! you are not going to be able to see in the grain on that top face. Come on, Willa! If the grain is going to cooperate. So you could roll the dice and go to split it anyways, and sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. Or you can simply remove the material in the way that I'm going to talk about next and don't do any splitting when it is uh, tangentially oriented. Radially, radially oriented, you can see the the line of the grain on that top face and make a decision that way. So, once you've split from the top of the handle down, and you can do the splitting two, one of two ways. If it's a very thin piece of material, let's say three quarters of an inch or less that you're trying to split, I just, I pinch the top of the spoon with one hand, I hold the axe firmly with the other hand, I lift both up together and bring them both down together. Just a nice solid tap. That's usually enough to do the split. Might take a second tap, but you want the first tap to, to seat the axe edge nicely into the wood. You don't want it to bounce. In particular because if it bounces, when it comes down, it could come down on your fingers. So if you're worried that it might bounce, or if you're the wood you're trying to split is more than three quarters of an inch in thickness, I would use the club to tap on the back of the axe. Now two things. First thing is, always rotate the handle of the axe so it's not pointing straight at you. That way when the axe comes down and swings through that arc, it's not going to lodge in your leg. Second thing is, it's easy to overdo it with the club. So while you want to give it a nice firm tap so that it seats and doesn't bounce, you do not want to just wail on it because it will it will split right through that material and lodge right in the handle and destroy the spoon that way. So nice solid tap with the club, then give it a second tap to split it. Be as gentle as you can while still giving enough force. Now you've removed the material from either side of the handle, but there's still, because the split ran out towards the edge on both sides, there's still this stuff right down towards the stop cut that hasn't been removed. How do you get that split off without tapping the back shoulder of the spoon bowl by accident? The reason you want to avoid tapping the back shoulder of the spoon bowl by accident is that that is why you end up with cracks in the back shoulders. It's sloppiness in your axing technique at this stage is what leads to, even if you don't actually destroy your spoon right now in the moment, if you hit it pretty hard with the axe edge because you weren't doing what I'm about to describe, what ends up happening is you create a stress fracture in the wood that as the wood dries and shrinks, that fracture opens up and forms a crack. <clears throat> so, how to not do that? 
here's how you do it. You want to lean your spoon blank over at about 45 degrees. It needs to be strong like this. And at 45 degrees, leaning over with the tip lodged into that little divot in your, in your stump. Remember how when I talked about stumps, I said your stump surface needed to be rough, uneven. You need to be able to lodge a spoon blank in it at an angle and not have it slip. So here's that moment. Put your thumb on the tip of the spoon blank, on the tip of the handle, and tuck your knuckles up underneath to support it underneath. Lean it at that angle at 45 degrees with the tip lodged into the stump. And then with the axe, you're going to about an inch to an inch and a half up. You're going to come down on the material, an inch and an inch and a half up from the stop cut. You're going to come down with the axe. And the point is to chop down into the waste material that needs to be removed in such a way that it sends a shock wave through the material and it pops the material free down to the stop cut. Because remember, in theory, the growth rings are will split straight down to the stop cut. But you don't want to hold the spoon blank straight up and down and try and have the axe angle at the 45 degrees because the axe always wants to pivot down to be hanging straight up and down. The weight of the axe head will always make it pivot. So even if you think you're going to have the spoon blank straight up and down, which feels like it's sort of more stable, and have the axe head be at the angle, first of all, you're less accurate that way. Second of all, because the axe head always wants to pivot, at the end of your stroke, it wants to pivot through and go slam into that back shoulder. By tilting the spoon bowl, by tilting the whole spoon blank rather, over at 45 degrees and holding the axe so that it's hanging straight up and down, the axe edge is always pointing down into the neck of the spoon. And therefore, it's never pointing at the shoulder of the spoon. And you therefore cannot hit the shoulder of the spoon. So, why an inch to an inch and a half? If you do less than an inch and an inch and a half, you just are getting awfully close to the shoulder. If you do more than an inch to an inch and a half, you have to use so much force to get that shock wave to occur that it doesn't work particularly well. So there's a sweet spot right in the middle where by taking off about an inch to an inch and a half chunks, you can generate enough force while still being relatively gentle with the ax that you can send that shock wave and the wood will pop free. I've done a number of videos on Spoonosaurus and on IGTV and YouTube showing this. If you're having a hard time envisioning it, go watch one. It will make total sense to you. This is the technique that's going to deal with about 90% of the spoon blank failures that you're going to have. So let's say you had a spoon and usually it takes like one or two strong whacks to get that to pop free. If you are too timid with those whacks, what happens is it doesn't send the shock wave and instead it just bites into the wood and you can end up getting right up to the line of the spoon outline that you don't want to cross without ever sending that shock wave. If that's the case, you need to back off to one side or the other and do it again. Um, but the point is, is that you want there to be a certain force with those. It should take one or two blows to get it to pop free. Not more than that. If you're doing four or five, there's something, you're not using enough force. Or you're too far away and you can't generate enough force to get it to pop free without using too much force. Now, usually, that first 
<coughs> one and a half inch section up from the stop cut is not enough to clean up all the material that needs to be cleaned up. So then you have to back off towards the tip of the handle and do another one to one and a half inch section. If you are doing a tangentially oriented spoon where you decided to do the entire handle that way, you would do the handle in two or three or four sections, walking your way up to the tip of the handle. And then the very last bit where you didn't want to split it, I want you to then split it. When you've only got, you know, an inch and a half left up towards the tip of the handle, I want you to split it the way you would have. And because it's such a short distance, the split will run out the way you want it to, no matter how the grain is oriented. The reason you want to split the very tip of the handle is that there's no safe way to axe onto the end grain of the spoon. It's both too dangerous in terms of being easy to come down on your finger, and it's too unpredictable in terms of being uh, difficult to control exactly where the axe is going to come down. And you need it to be exactly precise in that moment. There is no, there is no, uh, uh, there's no second chance to get that right. So I want you to always split off that little bit right at the end of the handle. So that's how you do your splits to remove the waste material on either side of the handle. Now, when you go to tip the spoon up at 45 degrees, if there is a ton of material to the side of the spoon bowl, <clears throat> um, like usually this happens, you split down the waste material on one side of the spoon handle, you flip the spoon over to do the other side, and because there, there was so much material on that first side that's sticking out beyond the edge of the, beyond the side of the spoon bowl, it makes it sort of, it keeps the, it like lifts the spoon bowl up off the stump in such a way that makes it hard to tip it over. So split the material off the side of the spoon bowl, parallel with the grain, just to get that width down so that it's reasonable. You'll find tipping it is much easier. So now, axing the rest of the spoon blank follows a couple principles. There is the principle of what I call the bandsaw cut, which is maintaining straight 90 degree sides all the way around the outline of the spoon that you've drawn as though you cut it on a bandsaw. At the same time, there's the principle of knocking off corners to make it easier to make that bandsaw cut. So the two things go hand in hand. When you knock off corners, you have to make sure that you don't knock off a corner that eliminates your ability to create at least a half inch of that bandsaw cut rim all the way around, particularly on the what's going to be the deepest part of your spoon bowl. You need to make sure you maintain that rim and don't knock off so much on the back of the bowl that you lose that ability. <clears throat> the order that I do this is always trim the sides of the handle. I get it close. I don't get it like completely ridiculously close. All right, dogs, let's go back. And, uh, and then I trim <clears throat> the sides of the bowl so that any waste material is sort of trimmed right up to the line on the sides of the bowl. And then I knock off the back corner of the spoon bowl, making sure that I don't go right up to that, uh, making sure that I leave a little bit 
uh, at the what is going to be the rim of the spoon so that I have at least a half an inch there and I knock off that corner and then I chase it forward onto the tip of the bowl this is on the back of the bowl and I do that on both sides and then I do my bandsaw cut around the tip of the bowl and then I knock off the back corners on the shoulder end and then I do the bandsaw cut around the shoulders. I recognize that that's really hard to visualize unless you've seen a video of me doing it. So go see a video of me doing it. The point that I want to make is that to some extent, it is easier to do the bandsaw cut if you have knocked off those corners first, because you're then making the bandsaw cut have to go, uh, it's a, just a narrower width of material. Come on, Maisie, let's go. Um, and so you can have more control as you're carving around these curves. Now, the way that you carve around <coughs> a curve, like the, what you want to achieve on the back of the bowl or around the outline of the bowl is you hold the ax steady so that it is doing the same cut each time you're chopping motion with the ax, the waggle of your wrist with the ax is the same. And then you tilt the spoon handle down as you make those cuts and it will create the curved line that goes around the rim or along the back of the bowl. Here's a couple things that I notice people do. First of all, they try and get too close to the rim of the bowl on the outline. And that's dangerous because one little slip and you've just completely changed what you can do with your spoon. You haven't necessarily ruined it. You're just going to have to redraw your outline. Whereas if you can get, you know, within a millimeter or two, Maisie, hey, let's go. I don't care what you're chewing. Drop it. Drop it. No. Drop it. Let's go. No. No. Let's go. Where did it end up? You have it in your little mouth? I don't trust you. Um, and <clears throat> it's so easy to remove that last little bit of material with just the knife that the ax carries more and more risk as you go along and knowing when to stop and letting your spoon blank be a little rough is the surest way to make sure that you can carve the spoon you intend to carve. Now, the other thing I see people do on the back of the bowl is they start too strong and then they finish weak. And that you end up with the exact opposite curve of what you want. If you imagine the bottom of a spoon bowl, you want to start off gentle and get stronger as you go towards the tip. Now, obviously you can get too strong as you go towards the tip and remove too much material that way. But usually people start off stronger than they intend because they don't have the ax control. Then they chicken out and they weaken up and you end up with this almost the opposite curve of what you actually want on the spoon bowl. So if you envision, if you go into it thinking, okay, I'm going to start on sort of the deepest part of the belly of the bowl. I'm going to be real gentle and I'm going to gradually get a little more firm, not crazy. As I tilt the spoon handle down to achieve that curve, that's how you end up with a nice curve on the underside of the bowl. Once you have done the tip of the spoon and the back shoulders, there's this last little bit of doing the bandsaw cut around the very tightest part of the shoulder where it comes into the neck. And this is where it is crucial that you put your stop cut at least a quarter inch away from the line of the spoon bowl that you want to achieve. 
because you'll find that as you chop these last little bit, if your line, if your stop cut was right up against that line, you're going to end up chopping into the outline that you want to preserve. Um, so it's important to have left that quarter inch means that you can then dress that with the axe and have a big enough target that you can reasonably hit it without exceeding, going past the line that you wanted to create. Now, sometimes people put special notches into their stumps. Come on, Maisie. I don't trust you. Let's go. Come on. Ha! Uh, sometimes people put special notches into their stumps to help them support the spoon when they're carving, when they're using the axe to axe right around the back shoulder there into the neck. I have found that as long as my stump has a little edge that I can get there, what I do is I place the head of the spoon so that it's on the stump itself and the handle's dangling off the edge, and the neck, right where the shoulder comes into the neck, that's the part that I jam onto that shoulder there, and by jamming the neck onto that shoulder there, it supports the neck so that when the force of the axe comes down, it's not going to snap the neck by putting too much sideways pressure on it. The neck is being supported by the material of the stump underneath it. And so without doing any special notches in my stump, without having to have it be like length specific to the spoon, have multiple steps, that sort of thing, I can just dangle the handle of the spoon over the edge of the stump, have the bowl on the stump, support the neck on that 90 degree corner of the edge of the stump, and then axe down into it very gently. Now, one thing I think it's easy to do is to overcarve the back of the bowl and pull up the rim too high. If you do that, you will end up not being able to lower the back shoulders of the bowl as much as you need to. So what it's going to look like is uh, you're going to have a nice, you know, maybe quarter inch rim, maybe three eighths of an inch rim on the front half of the bowl, but those back shoulders are going to flare. They're going to get wider. That's a good thing. Don't carve it up on the back too much um, to round up the back of the bowl too much to that top rim because the top rim is actually going to come down. And if you carve up the back of the bowl too much, you won't be able to bring the, the top rim down without changing the outline that you've just carved. So leave that nice and wide so that you can lower your shoulders. <clears throat> Otherwise, you end up with these big shoulders at the back of your spoon bowl that don't actually help hold any liquid and are just awkward. And the secret is to leave the back rim wide so that you can adjust the curvature of the top line of the handle to be whatever you want it to be. And that will be determined in the carving process. But you have to leave yourself space to figure that out now. So once you've carved the, once you've axed the back shoulders, then I ax the back of the handle one last time. Even if I've gotten fairly close, I just dress it up one last time. And it's worth noting that it's easy to box yourself in with the handle and remove so much material at this stage, or at any stage really, where you lose the ability to do anything other than a rectangle. By removing too much depth from the handle, you make it so that you can't create any vertical movement in the handle. Maisie, come here. Come here. Willa! Maisie, come here. Come here. Sit. Come here. Come here. No. Come here. Sit. Sit. Come here. 
Sorry, I had to pause because that state trooper did in fact come by and I had to reprimand Willa because she was running along with it. Um, so, uh, it's worth pushing back the back of the handle because uh, you want to sort of get it close to the shape that you want, but it's worth paying attention that you don't remove so much that you box yourself in so that the only handle option becomes to do just a plain rectangle. There's nothing wrong with a rectangular handle for a spoon, but if you want to have any sort of motion in your handle, any sort of sway back, any sort of tail flip, anything like that, you need to leave room in your handle to achieve that later on with the knife. So keep that in mind. And um, in general, you know, the main thing is just to be able to like look at the side of your spoon and visualize what movement you might want to have and make sure that you have the depth to achieve that movement. Now, that being said, I have found that the movement that I want these days and more is more and more subtle, but I still need to leave a certain thickness. And in particular, you want to make sure you leave some thickness at the keel of the spoon, the spot where the neck comes into the shoulders. That's very easy to remove with a knife and it's leaving it thick acts as an insurance policy against not having uh, enough thickness in the keel, enough depth in the keel to deal with the fact that you maybe had to make the neck narrower than you intended. So keep that keel thick for the time being. At that point, you now have a spoon blank. Notice that your spoon blank is sort of dressed up, it's square on, on all four sides. There's a little bit of rounding on the back of the bowl and there's some curvature achieved by the crank on the top, but that's really it. And <clears throat> at this point, you want to wrap up your spoon blank immediately. Don't leave it out for even five minutes. You want to preserve all that moisture, especially in the top skin of the spoon blank, because the opening stages of carving are heavy lifting with the knife. It's the heaviest part of the carving process. And if you leave your spoon blank out for half an hour while you make your other spoon blanks, guess what? That spoon blank is going to have a hard skin on the surface and you're going to really struggle to get down below it to where the carving is easier. So wrap it up in a plastic bag immediately. And if you're going to carve it in the next couple of weeks, toss it in your fridge. If you're going to carve it in the next couple of months, toss it in your freezer. Um, if you're going to, uh, I, I like to use a draw knife and a spoon mule when I'm carving long handled stuff because I find that dressing the faces with a draw knife just removes that sort of first bulk material. Come on, Maisie, let's go. Um, and makes the, it makes it easier the next stage of carving. It doesn't necessarily save you much time, and I wouldn't say that you need a spoon mule or a draw knife at all for the carving process, but uh, if you struggle with your body being sore, um, like or are injury prone or anything like that, using a draw knife by either by clamping in a vise or better yet, a spoon mule, because it gives you the best clearance, uh, would be a good trick to sort of remove that heaviest lifting part 
of the carving process. But far and away, the most important part for keeping it on your body is, first of all, making sure that your blank is the right size. I see blanks all the time that are way too thick. So try pushing your blank so that it is thinner, both in terms of the rim being slightly thinner and in terms of the, just the massive material on the back of the bowl and the back of the handle being thinner. You don't need all of that to do all that with the knife. You can do that with the ax. What, what I would say could be left rougher is how close you get to the outline. Thickness of the blank is more important than how close you are to the outline. And I see it all the time that people are the other way around. They focus too much on getting real close to that outline, but then they leave way too much material on the back of the blank. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope this helps.